encouraging each other in song this morning. First uh, Peter chapter 4. You know, we've been used to turning there for about a month. So appreciate Pastor Mike reading through that whole chapter earlier. It's always wise to have a greater context. I believe we have a new little one to introduce this morning. Where's Aaron and Jackie Brandt? There you go. We've never met yet in person their new little one. So Aaron, uh, do, us the, do us the honors. Well, she's passed out right now. So, but Zoe Hope was born September 30th. Um, six pounds, three ounces, 18 inches long. Excellent. So. Congratulations to both of you. Jackie, you. why don't you stand, Jackie, too? There's a lot of people that don't know you. Either one of you. There you go. Congratulations to you guys. And we'll look, hopefully she's awake after church, so I can hold her. That'd be great. All right, if you want, you know. It's your choice, obviously. I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving week with your friends and family. I hope you are going to get a day or two off uh, to relax. And uh, I hope you get two or three feet of snow to make you relax, maybe get shut in or something. You know, do you need to be forced to relax, some of you? You can be disciplined to relax without the snow. Is that okay? We had some missionaries here with us last Sunday night from South Africa, and uh, their children had never seen snow. Uh, so uh, we prayed that God would give them snow on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, and, and, and he did. And those little kids were delighted. Uh, they were staying overnight out east of us where... They actually had the grass covered by snow, and they sent me pictures of the snowmen they made. Uh, so that was great. So snow can be an answer to prayer <laughs> for some. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to Sandy Capuria's family that's here this morning or joining us by live stream, want to let you know that we love you and we continue to pray for you. We had uh, Sandy's homegoing service here this week and the gospel was heard and I believe God was honored and her testimony was in Christ was definitely heard and seen by many so we continue to pray for you folks and anything that we can do to help or encourage you we certainly would love to do that and for those of you that are in our women's group uh, groups uh, Jean Petrick many of you know her sister went home to be with the Lord this week too so I don't know if you're here, Gene, or where you're at, but we're praying for you. And um, uh, Just look around you, folks, just, just for a sec. See if there's anyone within six feet of you that you don't know. Just for kicks and giggles. Now, how many of you saw someone you don't know within six feet of you? Raise your hand. Stick them up real high. All right. Put your hand down. Sounded like a grade school teacher, didn't I? Sorry. You may put your hands down. How do you even say that? Adult to adult. 
I'll guarantee you somebody that you don't know went through something really hard this week. I guarantee it. As soon as the service is done, make it a point to find someone you don't know and ask them how you can pray for them. It's a big deal. It's exactly part of the text that we've been looking at. That's what people in crisis do. They spend more time in prayer and they do so together. Okay? All right. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to look into the perfect law of liberty. Help us to be faithful hearers and doers that we might know what it means to be blessed in our deed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been studying these five activities, these virtuous activities that the church in crisis um, focuses upon. And certainly expectancy. Uh, the more the world and trials squeeze us, we have a tendency to look around, but Peter says it's awfully exciting to look up. Behold, the end of all things is near. That's exciting, isn't it? That's not a discouraging thing for a believer. And certainly we're compelled to live more soberly and with some spiritual common sense because we're spending more time in prayer. We're devoting ourselves in prayer. So our vertical walk with the Lord individually and then our collective walk with the Lord as a congregation, the more we spend time in prayer personally and corporately, that's just what Christians in crisis do. So all five of these things, for any of you, if you've been saved for two weeks or you've been saved for 50 years, anytime you're in a difficult time, just take these five simple things and write them down and find your way by God's grace to these things. Okay? Keep your eyes looking up. Jesus is imminent in his arrival. Spend more time on your knees in prayer personally, and then with somebody else in the flock. Right. Expectant, praying people are forgiving people. In a time of crisis, you really don't want anything between you and the Lord, and you certainly don't want any walls between you and another believer in the church. Right? You want to have those conversations that are necessary to make sure that your hearts are right with God and man. Isn't that what Joseph and Mary did with Jesus? Luke 2.52, they nurtured him. They parented him uh, to have favor with God and man. And that's certainly what we want to do in our personal relationships. Apparently in crisis, not going through crisis alone is pretty important. Satan would love to allow those thin walls to grow to thick walls of separation. And we want to make sure that expectancy and devotion and prayer gives way to forgiving lifestyles. And then we're going to make ourselves available to each other. It's assumed, according to the flow of the text, that expected people who are prayerful people, devoted people, who are forgiving people, will want to be around each other more because they know they need each other more. And so that's why the text says we're going to be hospitable. You're supposed to practice hospitality. Invite those people into your lives that you don't know well. So remember a few minutes ago, 
there's a reason why I did what I did. The word hospitality just means simply accepting strangers in. How many people within six feet do you not know well? They're somewhat of a stranger to you. What do Christians do in crisis? They find them. They look up with them. They pray with them. They develop a relationship with them. Maybe even have them in your home. And the more that the world is in crisis and the church is a part of that, having people into our homes that we don't know well apparently is a good thing. It's a good thing. And then we focused last week by a really long introduction to this week that it's essential that Christians in a world full of chaos and crisis find their way to, to ministering personally to one another, the abilities that God's given to them. You may have in the last three weeks listened to a story that went viral of a school district just outside New Orleans. And they were having to cancel school days and school weeks because of so much violence that was taking place uh, during the school day. And uh, this had been going on for quite some time since the regathering of this school district uh, after the virus and all that kind of stuff. A lot of fighting going on. Parents scared to send their kids to school to see the vi fighting or let the fighting be part of it. So a group of dads got together in the community, right? And they, they said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to show up every morning at this school where all this fighting is going on. And, and we're going to be a presence there. They formed a community. They have regular meetings. They actually designed a T-shirt to wear. They called themselves Dads on Duty, right? And that's what the shirts say. And the school district wasn't allowed to tell them no. They said, we're going to come. We're going to be outside the school. We're going to be walking the hallways. Right? We're going to be looking inside classrooms. And our kids are going to feel safe when they go to school. Amen. And so I watched this particular story done by a local news station about these dads on duty. And they interviewed all the kids. And all the kids were like super happy. All these dads were on site. And they said, what was virtuous about these dads playing their role? One girl said, and one guy said, you know, dads just have this look. Like they can just give you the dad look. And they know by that look, you're out of line and you better straighten up. Sometimes dads don't have to say a word. Right? Another girl said, you know what, it's just comforting to hear dad jokes in the hallway. <laughs> right? Dad humor just reminds us of a presence of people who love us and protect us. Isn't that great? Another kid said, some of these dads are really big. <laughs> right? And who wants to get in a fight with someone that could handle the fight? Dad's on duty. Each dad drawing a circle around themselves for their own kid, and then for the collective safety of the whole student body. And they're going to get in there, they're going to play their role for the good of the school district. 
individuals playing the role for the good of the whole. And that's really what Paul's saying, or Peter's saying here in a spiritual sense. It's owning your spiritual ability to bring settledness and peace to the church, implementing that spiritual ability. I want to go back and highlight a few words in verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter 4 to just really help those of you that have not been maybe in the Lord a long time. I think some of this may not even be a review for some of you that have been in the Lord for a long time. But one of the things, if you watch this story, you could Google it, find it, find the interview with the students. What you're going to find out is listening to the students' testimonies of the value of these dads on duty is that these kids started to take ownership of their own responsibilities to keep the school running decently and in orderly fashion. You see, that's the influence of people. That's the influence of God's grace even in the church. When a handful of people decide that they're going to, by God's grace, implement their spiritual abilities that have been graced to them, it influences others to get involved too. So for everyone under 18... Everyone under 15, everyone under 10, everyone saved in the room. Right? We'll find out this morning that when you got saved, you were given a spiritual ability by God. And in this church, you're as equally valuable as any adult who was given the same. So child... Fourth grader, fifth grader, sixth grader, junior high or high schooler. Every time the body gathers together, you have a spiritual ability that's of value to this body. Pastor Steve, Pastor Kent, Pastor Mike, spiritual leaders throughout the church overseeing children or youth. It's their desire to help you identify what that spiritual ability is, and it's their desire to give you a place to minister that ability to the flock. Some of you see some junior ushers out here on Sundays. You'll be seeing more and more young people given space inside the church to implement the spiritual gift that God's given to them to bring comfort and peace to the whole of the body. Like everyone here that says they're saved has some role to play. And especially now in a time of crisis. And the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts. Holy Spirit does a lot for us, doesn't he? He regenerates us, John 3 tells us. He convicts us. He gifts us as we're studying. He testifies in our hearts that we're the children of God. He leads us. He makes us fruitful. He grants us and nurtures us in resurrection life. He enables us to have power over sin. He prays for us when we don't know what to pray. He guides us into truth. He transforms us into the image of Christ, as 2 Corinthians 3 says that we've already studied. The Holy Spirit does all these things, but we're focusing on what he does the moment you're saved. This one thing among other things that he does, the moment that you're saved. Okay. 
He gives us spiritual abilities to help the church when she's in crisis. So as verse 10 says, as each one has received. So first I'd just like to consider a few thoughts about the personal nature of spiritual talents. The personal nature of spiritual talents. As each one, not each body of believers, but each saint within the body of believers has received a gift. No one's left out. Everyone has at least one. So I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a conversation, kids, with your parents? If you're a child and you come here and your parents don't come here, have you ever had a conversation with someone here at Grace? And as adults, have you ever had a conversation with the person who's discipling you or who you're discipling or any other believer here about what this one spiritual ability might be that God gave you? It's got to be a conversation because God gifted you the day you were saved. God the Spirit graced you with at least one spiritual ability to help bring comfort and peace and safety and direction to this body during a time of crisis. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, if you want to write that as a cross-reference right next to that one first line, Paul says there, but each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit of God. The word manifestation there means that your personal ability that you were granted by God was given to you to be put on public display. Okay. So this is not something that we hide to ourselves. This is something that God gave you, like these dads on duty. <laughs> this is the believer on duty to the church to help her through times of crisis. So again, regardless of spiritual age or biological age, there's definitely something public about the personal nature of this gifting. It's, uh, I guess a manifestation would be, um, is it Thursday night? Or when is the Christmas tree lighting in in, uh, in Manhattan. It's coming up soon here, I know, right? That's the idea. It's the, it's the countdown to the big reveal, right? The throwing of the switch, and the lights come on, and that tree stays lit until the first of the year, right? And the whole world watches. That's a manifestation. That's a manifestation of a lot of pretty lights, Right? They go through the history of where that tree was found, when it was cut down, how it was hauled to New York City. Right? Everyone waits for the big moment. Well, the big moment is when you get born again spiritually. Right? And then we grow in the process of becoming available, becoming aware to the flock, making aware to the flock what God did in you the moment you were born again. There's got to be this spiritual growth involved. We're able to manifest publicly the beauty 
really the grandeur of God's grace through you to the benefit of the body. So, do you know? Have you even had a conversation? What that divine ability is and how you can implement it, as we'll discuss in a little bit. So it's definitely personal in nature. It says here that you received this gift, as each one has received. The grammar of that word received just goes back to the moment you're born again. That's when you got this ability. But it's interesting here, this particular word for received, the emphasis is really, uh, the focus of the attention is on the transfer of the gift from the original owner of it to you. So you received this, and the emphasis is on the giver, not the receiver. So this talent, really, this gift is yours, but it's sourced in God. It's sourced in God. And you received it the moment you were born again. And what we find out about the personal nature of this particular talent that God gives you, that he often aligns it with the way he created you anyway. He wants you to be a specialist, a spiritual entrepreneur, if you will, according to the way that he created you. He wants you to be comfortable in your own skin, so to speak. Often we hear folks say, well, I don't know if I can do that, Pastor Tim, or I'm not an extrovert, or I'm not really good with people. I don't know if I can be manifested. Right? I don't know if I can be a, be a, a dad on duty, so to speak. Well, try to remember, God knows how he made you. And he's tailor-made your ability to serve the flock by his grace according to how he made you. We just talked about this in the membership class this morning. If your good friend is hurting because maybe they just lost a parent or a child in death, the first thing your heart wants to do to help them, what is it? And someone said, I just want to listen. I want to be there for them. I just want to listen. I said, well, that's how God made you. But if that's your first impulse, you just want to listen, then you probably have the gift of mercy. And just sitting there listening to the other believer who's gone through that very difficult time, you're putting on public display that which God granted you the day you're born again. Just in listening. Take that application to anything that your heart immediately wants to do. Someone else in the classroom might say, man, I would just want to take a Bible verse that God gave me a long time ago and I would just want to speak it to them. I want them to own that promise. Well, then God's probably given you the gift of exhortation. Another person in the class might say, oh, all I want to do is, is make sure they have meals when they come home and I want to make sure their, 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 their lawn is mowed and their gutters are cleaned out. Right. 
I just want to make sure they're taken care of because they're, they're going to be so distracted by all these funeral preparations and they're going to be having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning because they're going to be struggling with spiritual depression and all these things. Then they're probably not even going to have the strength to make a meal. I just want to do it. Well, then you probably have the spiritual gift of helps. How does God the Spirit prompt your heart to help the body in times of crisis? Well, if you were unsaved, this is what I'm trying to say. If you were unsaved and you had a really good friend who lost a family member in death, you probably would be responding the same way in unsaved ways. But when you trust Christ as your Savior, he gives you a specialist kind of way according to God's word to minister the grace of God to that hurting believer. And so God's grace prompts you to make his gifting of you public. And that's his beauty put on display. And it's all by the spirit of God. It's personal in nature, and we know that it's divine in nature as well. Each one of you has received a gift, and that's the root noun form of gift is just where we get our English word grace, right? You'll see it again at the end of verse number 10. As each one has received a special gift, there it is for the first time, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace. Of God, two times in one verse. This is something gifted to you by the unmerited favor of God. It implies a gifting that comes with a set of directions, or really a, a how to manual, if you will. And anytime we're given a gift that requires that we operate it or oversee it, Somehow, we look first to the directions regarding the operation. All of God's gifts are graced to us, and they come with divine help. Amen. They come with divine assistance or divine oversight or divine direction within the church. And that primarily is sourced in the indwelling spirit of God, the instruction of the word of God and the assistance of the people of God. So even though all this is divinely sourced in God's grace, it comes with a how-to. You say, I have a hard time identifying it or I have identified it, now what? Now what? Well, you pray and the Spirit of God gives you direction and according to his word, you work with the people of God unto the public display of this beauty that's sourced in the Spirit of God, unto the ministering of this gift. So it's personal, it's divine, okay. and it's implemented with some spiritual discipline. The text goes on to say some other things here. As each one of you has received a gift, employ it, in serving one another. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards. 
of the grace of God. So see this phrase, employ it in serving one another? It's a participle in the Greek language, which may mean nothing to you, and that's okay. It just simply means that this is the constant refrain of the Christian life, that the expression of the public manifestation of this divine ability, grace to you according to how God created you, is to always be available to the flock. It's really the, the reality of every believer's life. So it's that light that never gets turned off. It's always left on. And we employ it in serving. That's all one word, by the way. The root of this one participle is the noun form of deacon, right? Or diakonos. You know what that word means in the first century? It means that someone who waits on tables. Waiter or waitress. Maybe the picture in your mind would be of a flight attendant. So we are to take this what is by nature divine and personal and we are to wait on people in a public way. We are to serve them according to this divine ability. We're never on a stage performing our gift at the expense of the personal benefit of another according to the ministry of our gift. And when we're out of the general public eye, our skill set is still used to aid individuals as well. So the practicing of what Peter's saying here is both within and outside of formal Christian worship. He said, that's pretty easy to understand. Well, I just want those of you who are who are newer to Christ understand that. That like when we get together in a formal worship service like this, there's some practicing of spiritual gifts going on. And it should be. They should be. But when the body's not formally gathered together, the body still stays lit. You individually still remain a table waiter of that divine ability that God's given to you to the personal benefit of somebody else. And I think that's a beautiful thing because as a pastor, as I said earlier, a lot of times people say, ah, I may have a spiritual gift, but I'm not good in public in, in front of crowds. I could never do what you do. It's, like, ah, it's just one gift. Right? There's a, there's a public and a personal display of service of this gift. So for instance, we've got a group of guys in our church that work here during the week. We have ladies that serve here during the week too. They're either partially retired, semi-retired, or fully retired. Well, these men that come here, I could definitely tell you all have at least one gift, and that's the spiritual gift of helps. Right? 
They're here, oh my goodness, I don't know how many hours a month. Right? And uh, they're, they're a little past 50. Right? They have a few aches and pains that come with being past 50. So they've given their little group a name and they actually designed a t-shirt and they wear it when they're on site here at times and they called themselves the sons of ibuprofen. So, Pastor Hobie and I will be joining that group. Pastor Hobie already has a shirt. Pastor Hobie already has a shirt. Honorary, Honorary member of the Sons of Ibuprofen. Amen. So, I love these men for lots of reasons, as I love all of you for lots of reasons, but these particular men, they are on public display to the body. When you're, when you're here... The fruit of their labor is enjoyed by all of you, and you may not even know they do it. Some of you come on an off-site during the course of the week, and you see these folks serving God here, from mowing the grass to painting, trimming, cleaning. Everything you see that's nice here, in large part, is because of these men employing their gift of helps. But I also know these men have shown up unannounced at people's homes in our church who need a door fixed, right? Or who need a roof repaired. Right? And their wives have shown up at doors too of a woman who's recently home from surgery with a meal. And that's much much more than just good philanthropy. Because when we understand where these gifts are sourced, and we understand the operation of the work of the Spirit is to compel these people to always stay lit in the doing of their gift, whether it be public or whether it be private, it's always a manifestation of someone else working in their life so that we don't ever say, Praise God for the uh, praise the sons of ibuprofen, but praise God for the sons of ibuprofen. You see my point? I know you do. But for those of you who are younger in the Lord, I want you to know that your value to the flock in a relationship of your spiritual skill set, even though you're newer to the Lord and newer to grace, is just as valuable as these folks that have been here a long time. I think the industry standard of local churches is you've got to be there for a while until you can be an influence. And I think we, we really need to pause when we think that way and we need to rethink what we're actually thinking. Maybe, the church, maybe that's the church's fault in a way because the church became so performance-driven in so many ways over time. I don't know. But the moment you're saved, as we've already said, the divine nature of this gift and the way the grace of God through the Spirit of God operates is we're always to be ministering this gift. That starts from the day you're saved. So it's super important early on in your walk with the Lord to sit down and say, you know what? How did God make me? And then when he saved me, how did he make me a specialist to help this flock in a public and personal way? Okay? Because the body needs you, needs all of us. 
in a time of crisis. And of course, the word good steward here, as many of you know, literally means house manager. House manager. This literally means that we were graced to serve. The instruction of grace includes the knowledge of God's gift given to you and the ensuing instructions of how to minister to others. As we've already said, it will come with oversight. We need to remember as good stewards or good house managers, if you will, that it's not your gift. It's God's gift given to you and you're to manage it. And I really do believe that this is going to be part, for those of you who are older than the Lord, if you're younger in the Lord, I think you'll come to understand this in time. But I really do believe that this is going to be a portion of our Bema Seat judgment time. Okay? We always hear that we want to hear at the Bema Seat, well done, thou good and faithful what? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. In the New Testament, you can't separate servant from service, and you can't separate service from your spiritual gift. Okay? So what does that mean? That means if you come to church faithfully, that means if you're singing, and that means that you're doing all of these things that are good things, praise God for that. Don't stop, but also try not to forget that your faithful service to the Lord must include house managing this gift to the public and private benefit of his flock. So if you do all those things and you stop short and then someday we're standing before Jesus who's judging us on his throne and he says, thank you, thank you, praise God, thank you, thank you for this, 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 and this. But you you stop shy of I gave you this special ability in addition to how I created you when you were saved and you actually explored to find out what it was and then you convinced yourself you had no time to do it or you knew it was going to entail working with people and and you had been hurt by people in your life and so you didn't want to put yourself out there again to be hurt again so you just decided to take the gift that I gave you and not employ it and you didn't trust my grace you didn't stay lit in that regard I can tell you within the context of 1 Peter that these five things are, are coming to Peter by the Holy Spirit by way of reminder to the flock because in times of crisis, it's easy to forget some fundamental things. I'm assuming that when Peter writes these churches in affliction across Asia and Asia Minor that some of these people had gotten caught up in the fear and the turmoil of the day and they probably got distracted from practicing their spiritual gifts to the flock. And that's why he says here, don't forget. So in other words, it's never too late to pick up and continue on where you left off. Right? 
And if you're faithfully serving the Lord and you're wearing out, I think it fits within the context of Galatians chapter 6, and you're growing weary in well-doing, remember there will be a harvest. You will reap if you don't faint. And remember, the ability to persevere is also sourced in the same God who gave you the gift. Going out the door to come to prayer meeting on Wednesday evening, my wife was reading me an article that was recently put together by the Barna Group. It was done in association with the church management uh, organization, church administration organization. And uh, she gets these feeds of these articles all the time. And mid-pandemic, a survey was done of pastor teachers of how they're doing in ministry with all the turmoil that was going on in churches across the country. According to that survey, mid-pandemic, 30% of pastors were planning on handing in their resignations. That was mid-pandemic. The Barna Group worked with this group again recently, and nationwide, according to this particular study, 50% of pastors are not only contemplating handing in their resignations, they're probably going to. Of every mainline denomination. Okay. Whatever's happened in the last 20 months, it hasn't been light, has it? It's been heavy. And every one of us feels that pressure of whatever it is. And it's like a spiritual repping on a spiritual weight machine. You're supposed to do three reps, right? Three sets of 10, and you're in that third set of 10, and you're getting to rep eight, rep nine, and you're, and you're, and you're just about to do rep 10, and you can't let go because the machine's going to crash, and so someone sees you're struggling and they come over and they just kind of pull that weight up. And you, you did it with them. I think, it's, I think it's easy in time of crisis and a time of heaviness for every believer, you and me, to run out of our own ability to do God's will. I think it's a great reminder to all of us. None of it should be of our ability anyway. If we're growing weary and well-doing, we wrestle ourselves back to expectancy, prayerfulness, forgiveness, hospitality, and service. By God's grace. By God's word. With the help of each other. If we don't do it that way, going to be a lot of Christians quitting. Pastor teachers aren't immune to the pressures. No gift is. Okay? But I will tell you, perseverance is found. Peacefully found. Joyfully found. 
allowing God's grace to develop us according to and unto these activities and these virtues. I'll close with this. John Phillips in his commentary. If you don't have his commentary on 1 Peter, that's fine. Um, If you do, I would encourage you to go back, go to his section on how he concludes this paragraph on 1 Peter 4, because I think it's profound. And I'll conclude with three things that he cites in his own study that are good for all of us to understand as we finish this morning. He said this, suffering for Christ's sake should sharpen our perception about three things found in verse 11. Number one, the word of God. Number two, the work of God. And number three, the worship of God. Okay. Suffering for Christ's sake should sharpen our perception about three things. The word of God, and it's there in verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so according to the utterances of God. The word utterances there, your Bible might say oracles. The noun form of that word is logos, where we get our word, word. It's used again in Acts 7.38, Romans 3.2, and Hebrews 4. These are the utterances of the law of Moses. These are in reference to the Old Testament scriptures. This is the word of God. Our relationship with God's word personally and collectively should be deepened through the spiritual skill set of those who are gifted with gifts that speak teacher, pastor, teacher, evangelist, exhortation. Hang on with me here. Please hang on with me here. Peter's speaking to people that don't have Bibles in their homes. Please hang on with me here. Peter's speaking to people that don't have Bibles on their devices. Peter cannot implore them to go pick up their Bibles and read it. How in the world do they see and how in the world do they embrace the the Word of God which by its nature is relevant and all-powerful? They can experience it because it's been put on public display by those who have been gifted by God to speak it. As a matter of fact, and I say this with all reverence in my mind and my heart, the only access that Christians in this time had to the Bible, and it's it's maybe deeper understanding, I don't know was the indwelling spirit of God that they had as they heard it. They had to meditate on it. And they had to, had, they had to apply it. But if they wanted to study it more and they had no book to study, they had to spend a lot of time with these people. I think that's 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 14. Get to know them who rule over you for their work's sake. 
There's a special gift of a pastor, teacher, or a teacher, or an evangelist, or a person with the gift of exhortation. You can sit down and they can minister God's word to you, and it may not even be on the table in front of you. Are you with me? Thank God that it is for us, but it doesn't have to be for you. Because it is by itself quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, whether it's preached, taught, discussed, or applied in paper form or not. It just is the Word of God. Christians should sharpen our perception about the Word of God as we enjoy it together in written or non-written form. Of course, the work of God, the one who serves, the text says, do so as the one who is serving by the strength with God's supplies. Again, table waiter, and I find the word strength here really interesting. It's not a common word for strength that you would think would be used here. This is in, are you with me? Hang on with me. I love you. I'm going to close. I got one minute. It is, it is uniquely referring to physical strength here. It's uniquely referring to physical strength here. As a matter of fact, it's used in Ephesians 1.19 to talk about the physical ability God granted Christ on his resurrection day. A dead body became physically capable. It's used in Ephesians 6.10 where Paul says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. It refers to physical energy of choosing by God's grace to put on the armor, physically choosing to spiritually do something. The work of God requires physical strength. And we all only have so much heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we all only have 168 hours in a week. And when we're done with all those biblical things that God asks us and requires us to do, there still has to be a little physical strength left over to be a table waiter in the household of God. And you say, I don't have any left? Somehow we got to find it. But know this, God does grant it. If he can give Christ's dead body life on resurrection day, he can give you strength when you feel you don't have any to minister to the flock. Amen. And he will. And some of you know exactly what we're talking about. But we're sharpened in our perception about the worship of God as well. The text is very clear. It's very clear. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Phillips points out here that this worship is personal. To him be the glory. To him be the glory. It's positional, he says. He's to have dominion. He is having the dominion. And this worship is for us to be perpetual forever 
and ever. And I'm going to add, it's also will someday be final. Forever and ever. Amen. So the practice of your spiritual gift, kids, young adults, adults, right, is to sharpen our perception about the word of God, the work of God, and ultimately the worship of God. We know the word, we know the work, and we know the worship better with more integrity when each of you is owning your spiritual ability and employing it to encourage the flock. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much for the simplicity of this text. We thank you for the opportunity we have to review it again. And I pray, Lord, that your people would, would never minister their gift just to themselves. There's not one spiritual gift in the New Testament, Lord, that we've studied that is for self-edification. The flock needs to be aware of what your grace has done in our lives. So give us wisdom as we step forward and we, we seek to explore these things together, identify these things together, employ them together as we serve each other. Unto your glory by Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Ben's going to come and lead a hymn. I, I'm just going to leave it out there. I'll leave myself available. The pastors are available to you. Our elders are available to you. Our deacons are available to you. If you say, Pastor Tim, I don't know. I really don't know what divine ability God gave to me, but I would like to know. Ask your discipler. And if you don't have a discipler, come and ask one of us. If you say, I used to be serving, but I, but I just kind of gave up. I ran out of strength, and I know now God provides that physical strength. Come and talk to us. Have a conversation. This body, out of any time of this body's existence, needs to know what God's done in your heart and in your life to its corporate edification and its strength, okay? Uh, so whatever's happened to sideline you, let's get you back on. If you're new and you don't know, let's come find out. And if you've grown a little weary, let's regroup. Let's regroup, okay? Thank you.